0: Hey guys, we are on Eric Kimmery's back porch. Uh, So if you hear some noises, some train whistles or some bugs, uh, it is a beautiful night and we are really enjoying um, the weather in South Carolina right now. Uh, My name is Josh Parks. I'm one of the lay elders at Riverside Community Church and I'm here with James Walden to my left, who's our lead pastor. Um, On my right is Landon Jones, our executive pastor across from me. I've got Chris Eckert, one of our other lay pastors, and Eric Kimry, who is a former elder at Riverside. Uh, Tonight, we are just going to be talking about the coronavirus, COVID-19, and its impacts on our church community, Mm. how it's impacting us right now where we are. We're still at the beginning of this. Uh, The date is March 18th, so this is still new. There's a lot of new uh, information coming out all the time, it seems like, every moment, Uh, And so we're uh, understandably in the dark a little bit about what's happening, but we want to talk about how does this impact the church? How does this impact our church community and churches really globally right now are being impacted by this? So what does this mean for us as Christians uh, in this cultural moment? So that's where we're headed. And I want to start with guys with this question. Um, Is this as big of a deal as we're making it out to be? Is this Just the flu on steroids? Are we making too big of a deal about this? Uh, Or is this the
1: end of the world as we know it? (laughs) Or something in between? Yeah, I think that's a great softball to kind of start things off, Josh. I I mean, to be honest, I don't know that anybody quite knows how big this is going to be and how much it's going to impact us as a nation, how much it's going to impact the church in the West, the church in the U.S., I do think it's foolish to act like this is simply uh, an overblown case of the flu. Uh, One, we don't have a vaccine for it. Uh, But two, uh, if you look and compare to to what's going on in Italy right now and other places that are similarly affected, this is massively impacting that nation. And if we're not, I think, paying attention, it's going to massively affect us in ways that it doesn't need to. I think we can mitigate this by some some of the actions that's being uh, requested of us by our governing officials to take, to as we've heard this phrase over and over again, to flatten the curve. I think that's right. I don't think that's us giving in to fear. I don't think that's us being fear mongers. Uh, I don't think it's political. I've, I, heard, I had the conversation yesterday with somebody. Uh, but on the other hand, there is panic, and there's fear that is uh, the kind of on apocalyptic level. And I think... Um, who knows what the Lord's doing in all this, right? Like, maybe it's the end of the world. You know, it could be, you know, but I don't know that we have to go into full-on terror. And even if it were, Christians don't need to go into full-on terror. If it right. is the end of the world, there's a part of us that's like, bring it on. Like, come Lord Jesus. Um, that's right. You know.
2: Yeah, as I was thinking about this question, Josh, that you posed it, um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a sense in which you can act like it's not a big deal. And I think James said it well that, this is a big deal. It's a very, very big deal. And there's real fear and real panic. But on the other hand, I think you can overreact in the other way as a Christian, as if Jesus isn't sitting on his throne, as if everything in the material world is, is what matters. And so I think this is a good moment. I was thinking about it. Um, it might be the end of the world as we know it, but that might be a good thing because some of the world as we've known it recently hasn't been all that great. I think there's a chance for a, for a reset here. And I think this is a chance for believers who have somewhat of an eternal perspective. That doesn't mean it doesn't matter in the here and now. It does matter in the here and now. And there are people that are really have real fears that we all need to help. But I think in a lot of ways, some of the things that seemed to matter so much a couple of weeks ago don't matter as much. And so I think in a way, um, there are some people that are, that are overreacting in the wrong way. I think we have a great chance to lead, to, to react well in the right way and to follow what the government's telling us to do, to follow and to really lead as a, as a kind of calm, non-anxious presence to kind of show people that fear isn't all there is in this. Hmm. That's really
0: good. Chris, you mentioned leading our kids through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, So how,
3: do you, how have you explained this to your kids in particular? I think um, what we get scared of is what we don't know. And so we, we all really don't know a whole lot. So we, we spend all day with our nose in our phone trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And then we talk about it and we're processing through it. And the thing we, do, we leave out are the kids who are around us who aren't saying anything, but they're absorbing everything. And so um, we've been trying to be very intentional a couple of times a day um, to say, hey, how are you feeling about this? What's going on? Um, you know what? What do you think this means? And um, you know what we've unearthed is our kids are pretty scared, mm-hmm. but they don't even know how to talk about it. They don't know what they're scared of. They feel like this thing could be like the boogeyman under their bed, you know. Um, that and and you know when they hear about it killing people, they don't know what. Three, you know, there, there were four hundred and seventy-five new deaths in Italy today, right? That sounds. Like to us, when we know what the world's population is and we understand that, it might not sound like a big deal, you know, because it's in the hundreds and the world's population is in the billions. But to them, it's like, you know, they're 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 hearing 475 people were alive yesterday and they're dead now. That's terrifying. Is it going to kill me? Is it going to kill my pop? Is it going to kill my 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 uh, my. Papa, who, you know, he's 80 years old, my Grammy, you know, like they're, they're, they're -hmm. terrified of these things. And they've heard that they could bring it home and give it to them. They don't want to do that. And there's, there's almost like this, this guilt that's going on before anything even happens. And so we're unearthing a lot of things that are going on in their little hearts. And, um, I think it's super important that we help them Mm -hmm. process through that stuff. Yeah.
1: And I, I think, I think, uh, Chris, that's true for our kids. It's true for us too. I think the two unhelpful responses are, this isn't a big deal, everybody calm down, and the full-blown panic. But I think in telling people to calm down, uh, we, can, we, can, we can really minimize their anxiety mm-hmm. and fear. And I think there's a call for us to invite God into our anxiety, for people to even be aware of their anxiety. Like you said our kids don't even know how anxious they are. Mm-hmm. We don't know how anxious we are, I think a lot of us. And, and I think to, 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 to pause, to reflect... And go, how am I really feeling about this? Not just for our kids, but for us. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to say, what is this unearthing in me? What is God doing in this? And how do I then cast my anxieties continually on the Lord is a, is a big question for our kids as well as for us as adults. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to pay attention to I think to downplay it and say it's not a big deal is to short-circuit that. And mm-hmm. I think it's the wrong approach.
2: You know, one of the big facts in all those things is none of us have ever done this before. Mm. There are, there, there are people around the world that have been through some localized pandemics, but none of us have, no, no one's ever pastored through this. No one's ever let a Chick-fil-A through this. Like, none of us know what we're doing necessarily, and it's moving so rapidly.
4: I'll say this, as an educator and a coach, uh, you see the psyche of young people, and you work with them, and you talk through them. I have a philosophy of religion class that I teach at Hammond, and I think that we've largely insulated ourselves to, or insulated our psyche to situations like this. I think in a way our pride's being deconstructed. We have felt like we were um, you know, completely immune to a situation like this, and, and, and God's kind of putting cracks in that psyche. And I think it's an unbelievable opportunity for the church because our vulnerabilities are being thrust in our face. My kids didn't think people died across the globe, and now they're having to read about it and hear about it. I didn't think that. Hmm. And now I'm facing the reality that people I know could possibly die from this disease. So when you say, is it a big deal? Yeah, it is. It's a big deal. It's a big deal on a global uh, scale. It's a big deal on a national scale. It's a big deal here locally. And so what do we as Riverside Church do about that? I think the first thing we can do is shepherd our children and shepherd ourselves. Hmm. And understand that this is a this is something that is going to expose a lot of maybe the the false kind of securities that we've placed um, around ourselves and around our family. But at the same time, it's an opportunity to have people rely on the foundations that they need to be relying on.
2: Hmm. You know, um, you guys are talking about kids of an age where they're kind of feeling a little worried. Um, to insert a little levity into the conversation. Uh, earlier this week i was trying to explain to my five-year-old twins about this and they knew something was going on they kind of heard something about school and um they were outside in in the yard kind of riding around we live on a circle and so cars can kind of come by and my younger son lincoln he uh he said dad what's that thing called uh, called again like katama something And i said it's called coronavirus he's like okay so this car starts (laughs) coming around the circle and he looks at him and goes We have coronavirus. (laughs) I'm like, no, we don't. And the car keeps going. They had tinted windows, so I couldn't tell exactly who who was in the car. I, like, yelled out to my neighbors, we do not have coronavirus. (laughs) So, like, even on the other side, it's like, you know, it's a serious, it's like, how do I say it's a serious deal? So you probably shouldn't yell out we have coronavirus. But on the other hand, how do I not freak my kids out? You know, it's a pretty delicate balance there.
0: Yeah, my my four-year-old made a joke about it tonight, and I had to, Rain them in a little bit and say, listen, but, uh, it's probably too soon to make jokes without this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're in the middle of it, man. Yeah. Uh, so, but without freaking them out. Right, right. So, which
3: is a fine line to walk for sure. Yeah. I've actually been listening to these doctors from NYU talk about it, and they said, uh, you actually should make jokes sometimes because mm. the, the fear that the fear that's coming from this and is driving us and causing the anxiety is actually worse. Than, than mm. what's going on because there's there's we're getting gripped by this mm. and drawn down into this pit of anxiety and he said you need to bring a little levity into it sometimes it's actually good for you to laugh
0: what's funny is uh, online a lot of you're seeing extremes in people's views I see a lot of people dismissing this whole cloth just saying Mm. this is a government conspiracy or people are blowing this way out of proportion. This is a power grab or whatever the conspiracy of the day is regarding this. And I see some people saying this is the end of the world um, and, you know, buy all the toilet paper and bottled (laughs) water you can. And so, and then there's a middle ground of people making jokes of making jokes about it and uh, meme culture and all that sort of stuff. But it's interesting to see the way different people deal with their own anxiety about this. Mm. Um, for some people they 're attaching it to whatever boogeyman existed before this all happened, whether that 's the government or um or or foreigners, China or whatever it is yeah. uh, or and some people are attaching um, uh, their fear of their neighbor and fear of the unknown and all all those things so it's it's it 's manifesting in different ways in our culture and right josh,
4: now. I think it 's important as you mentioned how it 's manifesting differently that as believers, we give people grace to handle it in different ways. Some people are going to express themselves through a lot of anxiety. Other people deal with anxiety through humor. Let me tell you, Twitter's at an all-time meme high right now, you know? I mean, there's some Mm -hmm. funny stuff out there, and that (laughs) might feel inappropriate to some people, and it might help other people deal. And I think either way, we kind of got to give each other grace through this. I've noticed on Facebook, I've noticed on Twitter, you know, shaming is at all time high as well. Oh my God. You let your kids wander in the front yard. How dare you? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, we're all dealing with this thing differently. We don't know what's happening. This has never happened before. Let's give some grace.
2: You know, one of the beautiful things that I've noticed from the video that went around people playing music in Italy it's like the Imago Day, and people is coming out. I've noticed mm. these musicians and these artists and entertainers, I mean, like pastors, like Russell Moore, they're live streaming what they do. One of the things my children have been doing is there's this guy that wrote books about the pigeon on the bus or something, Mo Williams. I can't remember Mo what his name Absolutely. Yeah, Mo Williams. And he's been doing it at 1 o'clock. He's been doing like a drawing seminar. And my mm. kids are loving it. And, like, every day they're, like, in front of the TV and they're drawing. Like, my kids are becoming artists. Mm. That's one of the things I've, I've appreciated is that while there's a bunch of junk out there, some of the best of humanity is coming out. And that, and that reflects the Imago Day. Yeah, and I
1: think you're going to see that. In any crisis, you see the best of humanity and you see the worst of humanity mm. come out. And I think we're going to see a lot of beautiful things. Mm. As well as some probably some ugly things, um, because we all know that this is a plot by the Illuminati to eliminate. Oh, that's <laughs> definitely! I, well, thought it was, I thought it was you know. a plot by China.
3: Gun gun sales and ammunition sales are at an all time up. high yeah. right now, which is which is kind of scary. Like it's a little scary. Why? <laughs> why do people I mean, think that that's worth? Like, this are we going to all turn into zombies after this? I mean,
1: yeah. and, and
3: it's funny that you, you mentioned that, Chris, because
1: you protect your stuff.
0: The way that. I want to talk for just a second about how media has played into this, and not just the media of the moment—the uh, twenty-four-hour news cycle, which is certainly, uh, in some ways, helpful in this crisis; in some ways, not very helpful in this crisis. Um, I've been listening to the same, probably the same NYU doctors, by the way, um, on SiriusXM. I don't right. know if that's, that's the yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> so got my, got my free subscription. That's great. Um, so I've been listening to those guys, and it has been because they've been actually focusing more on the psychology of this. It's hmm. been really helpful. But uh, the, the media over – I feel like in some ways we're totally prepared for this. In some ways we're not at all prepared for this because we've been watching shows like The Walking Dead and uh, all, and, and tons of movies about pandemics and, and contagions and all these things. And so we've seen the way that we expect culture to react in these moments. Mm. And we're mm. expecting – like that's why people are buying guns. Because the they're going, well, I've seen Walking Dead, so mm. I know how this goes how this plays out, which is probably not accurate view of where this is Because
4: sensationalism is the norm now, right? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So it's so funny to see people, there's somewhat of a cultural expectation of, hey, this is the way this thing goes. And what I see instead is a lot of people reaching out to their neighbors and going, mm. hey, can I help you? In our neighborhood Facebook group, people going, if you need elderly people in our neighborhood, if you need me to go buy groceries for you, I'll do that. And so I've seen, I mean, there is some of that, buying up ammunition and things like that. But also,
3: I'm seeing, like James said, the best of humanity coming out in this mo- you know, moment. You know, is, you bring that up about helping your elderly neighbors. I've had a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation, like, what if I have it? And we have a lady who lives on our block. She's 102 years old. Wow. And, like, she's a widow, mm. uh, of course. Um, but she, so, we're, we want to go, you know, check in. Mm. How you doing? You know, what? but it's like, what if I'm the guy who brings coronavirus to her door how you know how do you how do you how do you reconcile this and help your neighbors I mean like especially the elderly who live near you
0: we have people in their 60s and 70s in our congregation and I have thought the same thing like I want to text them and say can I bring you know can I buy you groceries can I run some errands for you is there anything I can do so you don't have to leave your house Mm -hmm. and part of me is like but what if I'm contaminated and yeah. I contaminate their groceries yeah. and there's this fear that's in in me even in this
2: moment how do I serve people well Yeah That was one of the things that <clears throat> over the weekend my wife was reminding me is like in this moment yeah. as believers you know we are called like you asked are we overreacting are we ruled by fear Well do, it kind of was almost asking the question of what do people think about it In a lot of ways I think we're called to look at for the look at those who are more vulnerable more oppressed and you guys you guys bring up, you know, the point of the wisdom in that. Um, I noticed there was a, I think it was a young woman in our congregation who kind of put it out there to people, say, hey, "I'm going to the grocery store. How can I help you?" I think you have to let the people who are who are older to, uh, you know, kind of kind of say what they have to say about that. But I think that was one of the things <clears throat> that I was thinking about is I don't think we're re- overreacting when we're looking out for the least of these. Mm. We're looking out for the most oppressed, most vulnerable, even if it means. You know, there's, there's older people. There's also people that this is a very fearful thing and a very anxious thing for them. And I think, in a lot of ways, instead, instead of saying, hey, you're overreacting, you're being stupid, you're being ruled by fear, how do we move towards people like that and kind of, you know, or, or mm. actually, better yet, remove six feet back from people like that? Yeah, yeah. And, That's right. then, and then say, hey, I see you, and then help them know what to do with their fear.
0: And later in this conversation, I, I want to get to that. I want to ask the question, what opportunities does this create right now for us and for the church? But right now, I want to ask this question. That's, what is this moment of crisis revealing about our culture? And we've already started to talk about that a little bit, but I want to unpack that a little bit more. What do you think is being
3: revealed about our culture right now in this moment? Uh, one thing, personally, I, the other day I was going to church, and I... Um... I was going. I was going to church. I was going to work. Um, hey, maybe that was a Freudian slip there. Yeah, I think it was. But um, I was going to work, and <laughs> I um, I was putting my shoes on, and um, I just had this thought, like, "Hey, how's your retirement now?" You know, because over the past year, I've had a really tough year, and my conclusion was, I just need to. I need to figure out how to retire earlier. I need to put as much money away as I can and, uh, figure out how to not have to work any longer. And, um, you know, so I, every chance I had, I was putting, putting money into whatever investment I could for the future. And I just had to start laughing because (laughs) it's not so good right now. Hmm. But, um, Hmm. but what it revealed about my heart, I think is that, um, put a lot of hope in things other than Jesus. Hmm. And, um, and, and i am there's this has been a little clarifying for me it's been revealing the areas where um i'm really seeking to be comfortable i'm really seeking to be um uh, in in a way i I'm, I'm i really just want to <laughs> avoid the lord by kind of kind of being uh, insulated and um those things have come to the surface in, in a pretty uncomfortable way Mm-hmm. chris i totally i totally and it 's not just you, I totally
0: agree it 's not just you though the col- I think our culture, our obsession with comfort is revealed in this crisis right now, not mm-hmm. just in our retirement and our concerns about the economy but just our daily comfort. Mm-hmm. And our obsession with being comfortable is being exposed in this. And one way that I see that, it's such a silly thing, but it's almost become an avatar for our obsession with our comfort is the run on toilet paper (laughs) (laughs) in grocery stores around the country. People stockpiling toilet paper because God forbid I run out of toilet paper. That's the level of comfort that we're obsessed with right
3: now. When they ask me paper or plastic, it's always paper. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, and then i saw a joke today about uh you know hey well if the currency continues to go the way it's going <laughs> you can use it for that too but uh that that's i our, our think our, our obsession with comfort coming out like what if that i mean not even run i mean they now we're running for food and water and other things there's you're seeing stocks uh the shelves depleted in those other areas but the first thing that went was toilet paper how obsessed are we with being comfortable that we we went for that first? Now, that's kind of a silly example. But for me, that was a a, a, a real indicator of where we are as a culture. You know, I
1: saw, I saw, you know, kind of another take on that. I saw someone on Twitter say, isn't it interesting that it's toilet paper? The first thing we're afraid of losing of, in a, for ourselves in a crisis is our dignity. Our dignity, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. You know... <clears throat> <clears throat> You know, with with that being said, like you're not saying that you're not going to have a shelter over your head, you're not going to have food and stuff like that. There are people that really are worrying about that. I had a conversation with somebody today that, you know, really as the conversation went on, what what revealed was is I had a plan. Mm -hmm. I had a plan for my future. I had a plan Mm -hmm. what I was going to do. And you know, Chris, not to sell you short, I've had a conversation with you before. You're not the kind of guy who's like trying to store it all up to enjoy it you talked about storing up money to support church planters. So just for those listening, like Chris is not Mr. <laughs> Store Up Ridges for my own comfort all the way. Like you've, right. had, you've had a lot of plans. And I was talking with somebody today about that same thing. And I think really what it reveals to maybe those of us sitting around this table that aren't in that place where we're worried about um, not having toilet paper, or not having a shelter over our head is we're losing the ability to be in control. The ability yeah, I mean, to be in control of what our future could look like. And that I'm is saying. very difficult for us. We're,
0: loo- we're losing it? the illusion mm. of control. Mm. Yeah, Wait, and you that's- mean I'm not in control? Uh, <laughs> and you never were, my friend. <laughs> oh, man. And, and that that that's us- what's revealing, <laughs> being revealed right yeah,
1: now. Yeah, and I think it's back to Eric's point that the, this is exposing our, our prideful sort of self-perception that we had all this control, that <clears throat> we had kind of arrived as a civilization that we were... Uh, uh, invincible against viruses and locusts and all these things that have plagued humanity for millennia. We're like, well, that's not an issue for us anymore because we're modern man. We've sort of arrived and achieved and we're invincible. And I think this there's an interesting tension where we're like horrified to find out a virus can still take us down pretty quick. Hmm. Uh, it took out Alexander the Great. You know, Alexander the Great, died because he, f- he got a bug. Uh, wow. And so we're kind of learning that about ourselves. Like we're Alexander the Great and we're finding out that we're going to cut down by a virus. But I think also there's almost something giddy about our cultural response of there's a sense. Charles Taylor is a philosopher and he talks about the fragility of the modern secular moment. That we sense all of this stuff is fragile. This cannot last. We all kind of know it we're kind of expecting the apocalypse. I mean, you look at our movies, our TV shows, we're, we're like, we're absolutely fascinated with the apocalyptic. And I think it's both a fear and a, in a sense, a kind of, yeah, this is prophetic. It's going to happen. Like this can't last. Yeah, it's really good. And I think it exposes um,
4: probably the greatest crisis of our generation, which in my mind is a meaning crisis. Hmm. It's the reason that young, affluent people go join ISIS. Hmm. They want a larger narrative to their life. And I think...
1: And secularism doesn't provide
4: it. Right, exactly. So from a, an epistemog- epistemological level, we well, don't hey, have that. that. mean.
2: Yeah. what does epistolo- that mean? It's a theory of knowing. Okay. Some of the pistols.
4: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so from that foundation of knowing, Landon, mm-hmm. um, we, we don't know what gives us purpose and meaning. And you see it in today's culture. You see it in the youth of today. The symptoms of it are drug use. They are pornography. They are alcoholism. They are people speeding their motorcycles down <laughs> my neighborhood right now. And, uh, although I don't think it's as bad as you think. Um, but but what I'm saying is that fundamentally, like I think that the anxiety and the panic that this has invoked has largely exposed that crisis within mm. the Western soul,
1: so to yeah. speak. Mm. That's good.
2: You know... I said it a little bit earlier, but I, th- I think it exposes all of that. But I al- also think it exposes something like deep and ancient, like from the Chronicles of Narnia, of, like an ancient magic, that longing in the soul. Um, I'm, that's what I'm hoping for most people, mm. is that it's like they've been in some kind of like shadow land and that what this is doing is stripping away the shadow and kind of helping people say like, there is something deeper than what I've been living and longing for Because it's all being stripped away. And that's one of the things I've been hoping for this whole thing is that it will reveal that to people. And I think a lot, you know, like people share those things, like those guys in Italy, like singing music and stuff. Like when Mm. deep down, it's like, are you more excited about the new iPhone or whatever it is? Are you excited when you see humanity like at its best coming together? And I think
4: to respond to that, what is partly the antidote to this is beauty. Mm. it's why those people are singing it's why you long to that poem or that piece of artwork or whatever is because beauty draws you to the transcendent mm. and that's what you need right now that's the antidote to mm. it so i'm not surprised that people are wanting to cling to beauty because in a way it's medicine for our soul mm.
1: that's right yeah well, and so- C- you know c.s lewis talks about this in the weight of glory he says we, and we think that by calling it beauty, we've named it and we've answered it. That longing that we have, that I think you're referring to, Landon, that, um, that the shadowlands have been kind of exposed and the shadows have fled, and there's this longing for this transcendent, and we call it, Lewis says, we call it beauty, and we think that's settled it. All right, The longing is for beauty. OK. Well, but it's for something that beauty ultimately points to. Mm. <clears throat> that beauty as we know it and experience it and express it as humans, points to this divine transcendent that uh, I think that's what's so beautiful and and so powerful about what we saw in Italy with the singing in in the apartments. You know, people breaking out in song isn't ultimately the song itself, but what it points to is in our common humanity. The word you used, Landon, was the Imago Dei. Mm. We saw the divine expressed in that. Mm. Um, And that's what, in some ways, the veneer of our technology and our pop culture in some ways of it fading away, we get to see what the, the naked human heart really longs for.
2: Mm.
1: And I think that's hopeful yeah. in this moment.
2: So the question, the question I'm going to throw a question out there, is that's Italy, right? Romantic languages, romantic culture. Do we have that in us as Americans? Do we have soul? At, or or <laughs> Southerners? Do we have that in us?
1: Yeah.
2: Mm. I haven't seen a video yet. Maybe maybe you could. We haven't been quarantined yet. You know what
3: you know what I've experienced. Um, So, I have a Chick Fil A franchise, and we have been uh, relegated to a drive-through Chick Fil A drive-through only, um, which is which is actually fine. It's great, but my I've seen my team personalize the need. You know, there's there's a need for people to eat. Um, Fifty percent of Americans eat at a restaurant every day. You know, Mm. and so the grocery stores aren't the infrastructure and grocery stores aren't set up for all the restaurants to close. And I have seen my team step up and take this message personally. Like wow. we're feeding our community. We're mm. caring for our community. And you know, like our, our, our national vision statement is to be the most caring company in the world. And so like, it's pretty cool to see them personalize that. And, and it is the best coming out in people, you know, and these are, they're not all Christians. Most of them aren't Christians actually, you know, but there's something that, that resonates between all of us is, like, we are caring for people in a very tangible way right now. And um, it, it's been, like, it. I got really mm-hmm. giddy watching it happen yeah. the other day. Of course, they kicked me out on the corner and made me direct traffic because I couldn't keep up in any other position. <laughs> but um, it, was, it was pretty cool to watch them,
1: and they're just taking control and, ser- and just serving. It's pretty neat, you yeah, know. And serving, and this is a shout out to Jay Will. The best chicken nuggets, clearly the best chicken nuggets on the planet. Uh, Jay mm-hmm. Will's wrong, uh, yeah, but wrong, this gets us back to Eric's point that people are longing for purpose, mm-hmm. and they're finding purpose in that.
2: Yeah. Did you guys see real quick? Did you guys see the guy on Twitter? There's a guy who's like a trash guy on Twitter. Did y'all see that? It's yeah. like this kind of viral guy. He was basically saying He's like, viral? I. T- no, he did not have the virus. <laughs> it went viral. A bad word. <laughs> yeah, but he was basically a city employee saying like, Hey. During this, I'm gonna to continue to pick up your trash, and I'm gonna to continue to. Uh, that's it's, it's an honorable privilege to be able to do that for you. I take a lot of honor and purpose in what I do in this moment to you guys. And he was like astounded that it went around Twitter. And it was amazing that like somebody, even whether it be serving chicken or picking up trash, saying I have a lot of dignity and honor in my my job is not just a paycheck so I can be a consumer and buy stuff. It's that like I have inherent worth in what I'm doing to serve my neighbor. Mm.
4: And Landon, I think that's a great point. And I think when we're in a situation like this to where oftentimes, typically speaking, we're, we're all as human beings trying to make plans in the future, in the distance. And all of a sudden you're faced with a crisis like this. It brings the immediacy into play and you wake up to what is beautiful and, and what is poignant here in your life today. You know, I know recently I've I've been spending more time with my children and and throwing the ball with my son in the backyard. And Mm -hmm. we had a dance off last night and I'm like, why didn't I do this Mm -hmm. before? You know, like this is beautiful stuff. I've been missing out. And all of a sudden it's like, well, it's because I'm not thinking about all these plans that I have for my life, I'm thinking about what I can do today to be a good dad and a good husband and all those kind of things. So right. that's, that's, that's something that I've taken away the last few days. It's
0: good. It's good. And it's a great segue because where I want to go next is what is this revealing, not just about the culture broadly speaking, but what about the church? What is this revealing about
2: the church right now? I've got an easy answer for that. Yeah, Riverside should have always been on the internet live stream. Mm. Always. For those people that don't want to show up in more. Really? Yeah. Just do kidding. you think that this is something that we're going to do permanently? Uh, what do you think, James? I hope not. Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> well, I, I will say this. I will say this. We had an elder meeting Monday night, and one of the things that was really cool is I was thinking I, we got a lot of encouragement. Thank you for anybody that's listening that encouraged us. It was really encouraging. Um, yeah, it was a difficult call to make, and we did that. But I felt, I felt very, uh, even though there was only maybe twenty people in the room. Um, I felt like there was a sense of community and camaraderie, like through the whole thing, that I'd never experienced before. And I don't think that's normal for live streams. And I just want to encourage Riverside. I think that's because that's Riverside. I think we have a depth of community that even when this is going to happen, um, we feel it even through the internet. Now, I hope it doesn't last forever. Uh, in fact, in a lot of ways, I'm hoping that what this will do is it'll kind of make the, the heart grow fonder. Mm-hmm. The absence makes the heart grow fonder. Is that some of us that maybe have lost our appetite for gathering together, whether it be small group or Sundays, kind of realizing like, wait a second, you mean I can't? But I really want to. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there were a few people that showed up Sunday that really wanted
1: to be there. And that meant
2: a lot. That meant a
1: lot to me. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I think for me, to, <clears throat> I think it's exposed um, how much we put our trust in, in um, means uh, as opposed to trusting in the Lord to build the mm-hmm. church. Because I've been very, I'm going to be honest, I've been pretty fearful
3: mm-hmm. about
1: how, as I've thought about how this is going to impact the church, this will not be done by the end of March. This will not be done, perhaps, by the end of April. This may not be done until July. And then even then, we may have to continue to have these strange constraints on us for a long time. Think about the loss of momentum, the loss of gathering energy. And it's very easy to look at that and go, yeah, we're going to all fall apart. Like, there's no way the church can continue. And it can't, humanly speaking, under these kinds of conditions. Now, the good thing is we've begun. We've begun to implement this new neighborhood model, where elders are more intentionally connecting with the coaches, in particular neighborhoods who are connecting with small group leaders, who are connecting with their members, and so there's like this structure that just happened to be in place. Mm, <laughs> that's right. In the right moment, that I think will require the church to step up with an all hands on deck kind of mentality. For el- elders and deacons will be more important than ever in this new model. But again. <clears throat> relying that it's going to have to be a Jesus that builds his church. And that I have to put my confidence in that and realizing how how easy it is to put my confidence in means and structures that we've put in place to guarantee that the machine can keep on going Mm -hmm. rather than trusting the Lord Jesus who is on his throne through this. He is firmly seated on it. He is not moved. He is not shocked by any of this. And that he is more than able to build his church in the US. And he's more than able to build his church at Riverside. And to trust in that.
2: Hasn't that always been the case though? Mm-hmm. That whenever would it be the enemy or whoever thinks that that Jesus himself is snuffed out, or the church is snuffed out, look at the book of Acts, isn't that when the church flourishes? Mm-hmm. Like isn't this the time where whether it be technology or people actually quote being the church, isn't this the time for it to flourish? I mean, I think, I think it reveals something about you and me that we're in vocational ministry that in a lot of ways we feel that momentum when people are gathered. So I think one of the things I'm, I've been thinking about is I'm not going to necessarily see everything. I'm not going to hear all the stories. I'm not going to necessarily feel it. So what does it reveal about my unbelief that God is working when I can't see it?
3: Hmm. Well, and things, things may change forever. Yeah. Um, you know, and you you said we're married to these means by which we build the church, and um I even talking to our chief marketing officer at, at Chick-fil-A, like he in China right now as the virus is going way down there. Nobody's going out to restaurants anymore. It's all, and now this, this third party delivery is enormous. Like it's a whole new business mm. structure over there. And I think that's, that's going to be the case with a lot of things and potentially even the church. How, I mean, yeah. how's the church going to be different? And
0: there, yeah, there could be permanent changes. I mean, uh, Someone I saw compared it to 9-11 the other day, and this is already – we haven't even hit the peak yet. It's already been more disruptive to Americans' lives than 9-11 was. And if you think about 9-11, that forever changed the culture of America. I mean, it set us on a whole new trajectory. So if that's the case, and this has already been more disruptive than 9-11 – what, how is this permanently going to change? We just joked, but on our break, that you know, uh, James was like, y- Do you want to take a sip of my drink? And I said, I don't know that we'll ever be at a place where we're taking a sip of each other's drinks anymore. And it's to me, it's that's crazy to think about that this may have forever impacted our psyche. Um, but so the question is, well, what? How could that possibly change the church? And one positive that I see is I'm never going to take for granted a Sunday morning gathering again because for me, they were immutable before. They yeah. were something that would never go away. And now I can't meet with my small group. I can't meet with the saints on a Sunday morning face to face. And that hurts. There's a pain there. That, and, and not just the pain of that I can't feel it, but that I've always taken it for granted, mm. that we would always have that opportunity. And now, I, I hope that's a forever change in me, that I'm thinking, okay, this is, uh, may not always be the opportunity that I have, and I need to take advantage of it when I do have it.
1: Well, i am not no and, and what are the thoughts you have? Hold on to those, because this is a little bit of a sidebar. But <clears throat> I remember George W. Bush, saying in response to 9-11, uh, we need to continue to invest in the economy. Don't let the terrorists change the way, essentially, that we consume. Mm. And that was kind of a solution, right? Just keep consuming, keep buying. And I don't know that we can do that for a long time. It's going to change radically our economy. And we're going to have – Wendell Berry in, uh, has talks about the difference between the, the world's economy, and he calls it the economy of the kingdom of heaven. Because these are two radically different economies. And I think this is going to require American believers, American Christians to say, I can't trust in the economy to save me. Mm -hmm. I can't look to the economy to be my hope. I've got to trust in a, a higher level economy. And I think we're called to do the same thing, especially as leaders in the church, that this may radically impact Riverside. It may really hurt Riverside. I mean, sometimes persecution has hurt the church. I mean, you look at the church in Eastern Europe under communism, it all but died. It didn't flourish. Uh, it might really hurt us, you know, in some ways, in the short run. Uh, but <clears throat> what, is it, what is it calling us to trust in the midst of this? Which economy are we really putting our value in and our hopes in?
4: James, I think it's so funny you brought up Wendell Berry because I, I've actually thought of him multiple times the past couple of days, and when we're talking about what do we need to do, the image of just putting our hands in the dirt kind of comes to my heart right. and my mind, which is like we're going to have to get back to, when, when things are safe and, re- and we can do this, those fundamental things that drive us as human beings. And it's not Netflix, and it's not technology. It's interpersonal relationships. It's communal Uh, relationships, and it's the things the church is built on. And I wonder if this is a crack in all that. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, listen, I'm a football coach. That's what I do by vocation. And sports is gone. Mm -hmm. We don't have sports now. And so (laughs) that's... that's We
1: don't have sports
4: now. No, uh, listen, I'm saying that that's kind of a big deal in this way. Sports is largely symbolic. Mm -hmm. It's symbolic of like our pursuit is as people to grab something meaningful and purposeful collectively and move it forward to overcome obstacles. It's an avatar for us in a certain sense. And we're going to lose that. It's gone. Okay. We can't do that anymore. Right now, we can't even get together as a church anymore. You can't even get together with your small group anymore. We're losing that. I'm hoping that instead of ignoring the void, distracting yourself from the void that will actually look into the void and stare into the void and say, why is it that I need those things? And I think in here lies the opportunity for the church to speak into that void and say, why is it that you want these things so bad? And I think that there's fundamental answers
2: to that, that we can only provide. Because you've been created for it. Exactly. You've been created for it. And for a long, long time, at least in our culture, we believe that you know we can kind of have everything and everything wraps around us, you know, and I think in a, in a lot of ways that i'm hoping that this will strip some things away and it's going to be very, very painful you know, and I say that almost even naively it's going to be very very i don't even know what it 's going to look like i mean we were two months into twenty twenty i don 't know what it's going to look like for rivers i don 't know it's going to look for me for us for anything, but the question is is When everything is stripped away, where is our hope? What are we lying in? And I think I've been thinking a lot about why has our society been the way it is? So polarized, so fractured, so against each other. It's like we've forgotten how to just even be like neighborly, let alone love neighbor. And I think one of the things that has been really encouraging in this is I've seen, it feels like people are kind of moving towards each other a little bit. I, I'm sure other people are moving away from each other. What I'm hoping is is that this will kind of return uh, return us to an age where we are looking to the people right next to us. People right in our own congregation. People right in our own neighborhood. Uh, in In those places where we don't have to conquer the whole world through the internet or anything like that. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's like we have all these grand hopes out there when there's people right next to us that need our presence. They need not only our presence, but the presence of Christ in us.
3: You, you know, one yeah. thing this has done, James, you made a joke about Alexander the Great earlier. Um, I'll spare the audience the, uh, the context. But um, I, I did a, a study on him, and one way he united a bunch of people throughout an empire that was i mean like these were warring nations that he united and what he did is he created a common enemy hmm. that they were fighting and and honestly it's um it's kind of kind of a strange kind of a stretch here but we've we've got a common enemy here now hmm. which is this virus that's a worldwide common enemy and that what it does is it puts people who have been previously opposed shoulder to shoulder and um, so there is an opportunity in all of this to engage our neighbors, our friends, yeah. people who have a lot of differences. And um, I, I think it's a really rare opportunity. I read a story the other day about how North Korea launched a
0: missile over the sea towards Japan, and nobody cared. Nobody mm-hmm. paid attention to it. Imagine if that had happened two months ago. People would have freaked out. There would have been a lot. There would have been, it would have been the top of the headlines. Um, it would have been a big deal. But now everybody's going, okay, this isn't what's important. Politics isn't what's important right now. Um, And so, sure, there are people still arguing about politics. But there's a general sense, I think, emerging that uh, the person at the top of the ballot in 2020 in the election is probably less important than what's happening to us Mm -hmm. right now. People are dying, and that's far more important. Um, the this is this is transforming our culture and the way that we relate to each other and that's way bigger than any person uh, in the in the White House could have ever constructed. They there's no no human being could have could have made this happen. Hmm. Um, so there there's something bigger happening here, um, some good and some bad, but there it's making it's certainly bringing to the surface that. Some things are more important than others, and some of the things we've been obsessed about as a culture, and maybe even the church, yeah, um, are not first things.
1: Well, and I think that gets to the uh, what you're going back to your question. What does this expose in the church? I think a number of things are worldliness in many ways, but I think also, you know, Martin Luther wrote. It's been it's on been republished on twitter numerous times from numerous sources wrote an, a fascinating letter to somebody about how to engage a plague this isn't the first time the church has faced an epidemic right. like a pandemic this right. is not the first time it's happened from the early church from our, the church fathers down to the medieval church down i mean to the to how churches responded to the spanish flu in the 1918s i mean the this is this isn't new and um, the church has always been courageous in this time, and it has risked life and limb. It reminds me, I can't remember the source of this quote, but somebody threatening a Christian said, don't you know I have the power to take your life? And he says, yeah, that's okay. I have the power to die. Mm. And Christians have the authority and the power and the courage to love our neighbors when their contamination is a risk to us. Mm. And there's something that's, I think, going to challenge the church, I think, to make... Discern, a hard, discerning call to say: Should I engage a dangerous situation where there's contamination? Sometimes the church and Martin Luther talks about this will rightly flee and say, "I got to get out of here. Mm. There's others to take care of this. I've got to protect my family." Sometimes Luther says that's the right call, but sometimes the right call is to say: Personal safety is not the ultimate value. That's right. Caring for my neighbor, being vulnerable to my neighbor potentially hurt by my neighbor's contamination is not the, great, the biggest danger. I need to engage them and love them and risk for them. And I think Christianity empowers us to take some of those risks and give us those wisdom that, that right now, maybe the church is tr- still trying to figure out and negotiate.
4: It seems, James, historically, that's how the hmm. church spread in the first few centuries. Hmm. They're the only ones to take in the sick. That's you right. Know, that was our reputation as Christians to say, give me your sick. Give me the lepers. I yeah. will care for them. And, uh, and I know in this time it's different because we have to be very aware of, of, of what we're carrying and what we're doing too. But I do think that there's a call for us uh, to go out and make sure that we're caring for the vulnerable in the situation, yes. which are going to be the elderly, which are mm. going to be the people with uh, pre-existing con- conditions and things of that nature. So another opportunity for us to, to put the word of Christ forward.
2: Yes. Isn't that the, that the way of our Master? Willing to be completely contaminated for the
1: good of the other. He Mm -hmm. carried our diseases.
2: You know, I I remember, I can't remember how many months ago I preached on Jesus being the great physician. And in a lot of ways, the Pharisees and others were afraid that if they got near sinners, that they would be infected by sin. But Jesus himself said, I'm not worried about being near sinners. Who I am is greater than what I would be infected with, and He would take it on. Now you, you, we have to be wise. This is the actual contagion, not you know, it's a metaphor, not here. a spiritual, right? Not a spirit. It's a metaphor, but I think I As think if that's
1: less important, yeah, <laughs>
2: right? that's but right. I, obviously, we don't have to take on like the sin of the world or anything, but thinking wisely, and I think uh, you know, Paul gives us good instruction about thinking about those those weaker brothers those weaker sisters, those that are more vulnerable among us. I mean, hasn't that always been God's heart for his people? Always been his heart to think about the vulnerable, the impressed. And in some of us, those vulnerable are our family members, our kids, those kind of things. But for some of us, it just depends on what season of life you're in. It depends on what stage you're in. Like, I I don't think we can sit here and say, you should do this. But I think what we can say is, emulate Christ. Be like him. So for some of us, that means stay in your home and pray deeply for others (laughs) and send them Amazon packages if you can do so. Others, it's, hey, sanitize your hands, go to the store and drop off some groceries. There's so many opportunities that we have to serve not only our own body. And that's one of the things I want to say is let's not forsake our own body for the sake of like looking like virtue signaling on Facebook or anything like that. Let's serve our body but let's also serve
3: those right around us mm. yeah, I'm glad you clarified that'cause there there's this kind of um we we can have a savior complex as mm-hmm. as believers and and i don't I don't want to go rushing in and throw caution to the wind mm. like i I do think we need to consider the reality like there there' got to set certain parameters on life, and there's a reality to how viruses work, and we we need to take we need to make sure. That we're taking the right precautions when necessary, you know. Like, there's a there's a, a, a 15 day push right now to just get it stay away. You know, yeah. like let's yeah. take that seriously. Let's yeah. take that very seriously. Let's care for people in a, in that way. Um, and then when there are opportunities like, because get, that's
1: ultimately going to serve the greater good,
3: right, right. And then if there is an opportunity like somebody can't, somebody really should not go out in public at all. Like, go get them groceries. You can serve people by doing nothing. And then
2: it kind of like anti-American. Then it feel like almost like well,
1: it's like the, a, the meme on the internet. Like our forefathers uh, saved us by fighting in a war. You're, you can save us by sitting on a couch. Right. You can do this. It yeah. feels.
2: It feels like. Well, you're saying I can do something by doing nothing. Sounds
1: a little. But bit it's more than that. Gospel. I would
4: say it's. It's. Listen, there's a group of young people out there, and we have a lot of those in our church and across the state. Who, you know, are kind of essentially not immune to this disease, but they're not largely affected by it. And it's easy for them to go out and be social and do the things that they want to do. But they need to have some humility here. And in terms of what can the church do is to maybe engage these millennials, these younger people, and say, hey, you have a role here. Like, you have a purpose here. We need you to be humble here. And realize Just because you can't go to the St. Patty's Day parade, doesn't mean your life is over. And also, sorry, I'm a football coach. (laughs) And also, um, like, we need you. We need you to stay home. Mm -hmm. We need you to not be social. So you're saying, and if anybody can not be social, it's it's these people that have grown up in the i generation where they can, you know, connect with each other on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and. Snapchat and all things. That's the, things the joke do. is they've
0: all been preparing. for Yeah,
4: this. yeah that's that's right. they may be the leaders.
2: So you're saying is is that we need to look out for the interests of other people? Yeah, exactly.
4: And then what? Not what? But what, what a great lesson for young people, right? You know, and I think there's an opportunity
2: here for them. Right. Well, I know Josh, you wanted to get into kind of some of the opportunities for the church. In that's this. the next question. So yeah, and so so one of the things that I've been blessed, in, I live in this like circle of 40 homes apparently it's been having a block party for like since 1960, Strom Thurmond once came or something like this, the, the claim to fame. And, uh, there's this lady in our circle that has been compiling a directory for years. And uh, I went back on my email today and I found, um, like one from 2018. And so I sent an email to everybody in our, our circle. I, I've known a few people. Some people I have no idea who they are. I know there's elderly people in our circle. And one of the things that that I did, I I just sent an email and I mean, I'm blessed to have people's emails. I don't know if you all have people, your neighbor's emails. This could be actually a great opportunity to say, hey, could I have your email? Because we're neighbors during the coronavirus and I may need to know how to connect with you. Um, if you need help, it's one of the things I did. I said, listen, we're here. We want to help. We have kids. Do you want us to not be around? Do you want us to be around? What do you have needs? I just kind of threw it out there and I've already gotten like maybe 50, maybe five, six, seven, eight responses from people saying, some people saying, hey, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm available to help. Other people saying, hey, we're going to wave and say hi, but please leave us alone because we're older and we have our grandkids around us. So it's one of the things that, that I've done recently, and it's been a blessing, like I said, to be able to have that information. So I think a great opportunity is to um, wisely engage with your neighbors. And I think that people are going to be open during this time. I kind of put at the end of the email, "Hey, okay, I'm praying for you. I've got another neighbor who I've been getting to know for quite a while. And uh, he's a teacher. And he had to go in for a couple of days and like record class after class after class after class. He's exhausted. He said, hey, man, uh, can we have a glass of bourbon and uh, watch a movie or talk about something? So I'm just thinking, man, we're just going to sit on my, my, my driveway in a couple of chairs, drink a glass of bourbon. I'm just going to say, hey, man, what do you think about this? You know, I said there's a lot of great opportunities to be wise about what we're doing, but I think if anybody listening, I think the first thing you can do is say, do you know your neighbor's names? Do you have their cell phone numbers? And do you have their emails? And if that's ever been a frightening thing to you, now you have the greatest in of all time. Hey, I want to make sure you don't have the coronavirus and need to go to the hospital.
1: Can I have your cell phone number? And is there ever an easier time for us to ask the simple question, how can I pray for you? Right. I don't believe in prayer, but I also didn't believe in coronavirus, so
2: I'll take anything I can get right
0: now. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who would have said maybe a couple months ago, I don't
3: believe in prayer, that'll say, yeah, yeah, you can pray for me. <laughs> yeah, And <laughs> here's how. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we had a staff meeting the other day, and I, I took a risk and just said I gave a little devotional and prayed, and uh, I just kind of looked up in the middle of the prayer. Everybody's head was bowed, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which there, only if, well, you know. Absolutely. I'll give
2: a shout-out to... Uh, one of our other elders, Andy Richards, and he told us at our elementary the other night that uh, our live stream the other day, uh, his wife, who, um, well, just keep it, she works somewhere where you're not supposed to share religious things, and she just took a risk and just shared the live stream with everybody and said, "You feeling anxious?" Our you Sunday sh- morning live stream, yeah. Our Sunday morning live stream, service. yeah. She she said, uh, "You feeling anxious? You should watch what my church did." She just took a total risk in it, and I don't think anybody, I think had a, problem a lot of it. positive
0: response, a lot of positive response, uh, yeah. yeah. That's great. My neighbors are from Italy. No, oh. both of them were born and raised in Italy. I've um, met they them, don't. Yes. Uh, yeah, you met them. Yeah, that's right. So they don't know a lot of English, and um, we've built a pretty good relationship with them. Hmm. So over the fence yesterday afternoon, we talked to them. <laughs> we talked to them and just like said, tool time." Over said, "How how's this going for you? How's your family?" And they said, "Our family's okay, but they've been on lockdown and." Oh. Um, they they were sharing stories of horrors in Italy, and it was a great opportunity mm-hmm. to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the same is true for any of our neighbors right now. I I feel very comfortable right now going to any of my neighbors' houses, just knocking on their door and saying, standing back <laughs> mm-hmm, six sweet. feet from the yeah. door, from the <laughs> threshold, and saying, "How can I pray for you right now?" And I think that that would be well received because there's a anxiety about this. Uh, and it's not just in the church. It's everywhere, if not more
1: so outside of the church. So there's a great opportunity to do that. I, I agree. I think there's so much opportunity for us right now. <clears throat> if we are present, if we are ourselves able to be a non-anxious presence, I think we can be such a gift and, a <clears throat> and servants to our neighbors. <clears throat> I think there's also uh, an opportunity for us, uh, for us to connect with each other and to connect with the Lord that uh, there's a video coming out tomorrow, but <clears throat> I talk about that in there. Like, I think this, this sort of bizarre schedule that's been imposed upon us can be seen as a gift mm. if we will see it that way. Mm-hmm. Like, we will be able to connect with the Lord in ways maybe we haven't for a long time. Uh, you know, our, our spiritual forefathers, they, they had a rhythm, a daily rhythm. They would start their day in prayer and then the Word, And they would pray throughout the day. And then they would end their day reviewing the day in prayer. They would sort of go over the day and give thanks for different things and how God's answered and how he showed up. They'll confess sin. This was their norm for most Christians for like centuries. And I think we've been so distracted by social media and the news feed, which feeds our anxiety. I think if we can start to use this new schedule, this new daily rhythm that may be a norm for weeks to come, to really establish a different rhythm. We put down the phone, we put down the tablet, and instead we we read scripture, we open up the scriptures, we, we maybe journal, we, we pray and, and praise God. I think it could be a tremendous gift to the church and how we shift our relationship to the Lord.
4: And I think it's such an opportunity for people to transplant people who are otherwise outside of a story into a Communal story, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what motivates people: It's the fact that hey, man, you matter. And you grab a guy, and whatever his metaphysical proclivities are, so to speak, um, and you say, "Hey, man, I need you in this story because it matters right now." I don't care, like what, what if you don't go to church or what your religious view is. I need you to help our elderly neighbor across the street. And you grab that guy, and you pull him into something meaningful and purposeful. Mm-hmm. And that's the front porch of a conversation that can happen, to say, why do we do this? Why did this matter? Why, why, I remember the flood in 2015. Hmm. It was th- one of the best weeks of my life <laughs> because we were able to engage in this Columbia community, grab people together, and we had a common story. And people want a story. And right now, we're in this story together. And what a better opportunity to grab people and say, why is this meaningful? Why is this purposeful? And I think from there, so many conversations could happen.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and for a lot of people, this is, you know, like you said earlier, getting into the immediate rather than the horizon. This is unearthing a desire for, is there a place where coronavirus doesn't come? Is there a place where the stock market crashing does not crash my entire life? And as believers, we have that answer. And it's, 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 it's then, but it's also right now. It's that peace. It's that shalom that we're all looking for. Everybody right now is going, how is everything going to work out? How is everything going to work out? And how am I, is my life not going to fall apart? I think this is a chance for us to have a calm, like James was saying earlier, a non-anxious presence. Not because we have a pie in the sky and we think we're going to be angels playing on a harp somewhere because cause we know we have a future inheritance that is coming where this will never happen there will be every tear wiped away, every disease ever gone, and that we can bring that future into the here and now in our neighbors' lives in a way that that actually meets their needs but also points them to a future hope where – I, mean, I mean, who, who wants the stock market to crash? Who wants this to happen? There is a time coming when that's not going to be that we can kind of point people to, not only in word, but also in deed and literally be in the presence of Christ mm. in their lives.
0: And that's and the earlier question was, what is this exposing in the culture? And the answer is, it's the things that are being exposed as hollow for putting our hope in things that are either non-existent, like our control, um, the sense of control that we have, or very hollow, like our finances... Um, in our economic security that exposure is creating opportunities mm. to ask the question well what if you're not if that's not a trustworthy place for you to put your hope then what is how's that what working is out for you? yeah how's that working out for you exactly yeah. what is a place where you can place that hope that mm-hmm. eternal security that you you have a longing for a deep longing for and those it's creating opportunities hopefully for those conversations to happen well
3: i think I think that's at a place where we started early on, where we're helping our kids translate what's going on, hmm. I think you know um, a verse that's been coming up over and over is Second Corinthians ten five, and that we we take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Hmm. And um, all day long, there I mean, I, I'm I'm changing every thirty minutes how I feel. This thing ain't so bad. This <laughs> thing's gonna kill us all. This you know um, yeah. this is awful. This is okay. We're gonna make it. You know and um and i d- i do think that helping people process through things is is a huge ministry. Hey, how are you feeling right now? Hey, what's going on? You know, cuz who who else is going to ask him that question? Who else is going to ask your neighbor that question? Or who else is going to ask your coworker that question? And um and i i just think that's that's a it's a place where we can serve and love people and point them to Jesus because as you unearth, like how am I feeling right now well i 'm feeling anxious, why am I feeling anxious, and you, you dig through that like the reality is there 's no hope greater than surviving this this pandemic
2: mm-hmm.
3: unless you have jesus
2: right well and like Which, like James said before, we know someone who 's been through this before mm. and it 's not my one hundred and five year old grandfather that lived in one thousand nine hundred and eighteen or whatever it was. We know someone who has like actually led a people through a pandemic before. They come out the other side and yeah. they're okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it is hopeful to think that this pandemic didn't catch Jesus by surprise. No, it didn't catch the Lord by surprise. There's nothing. In fact, He's not worried at all about it. That's right. There's no worry in his heart over this. And finding hope in that in this moment is not just helpful for me, but could be it's extremely helpful for my neighbors
1: who don't know Jesus. Mm. Yeah, and I think even that God Christ is reigning through this <clears throat> for good, uh, realizing that this isn't just something that we've got to go, sort of hunker down and survive. But he's going to use right. this for the flourishing of his church. I don't know how that's going to look, but I believe that's true even if it's a severe mercy that humbles us and yields a deeper godliness among his people, that's fruit that will be rich and joyful mm. that he's doing.
0: All right. The last question I have for you, guys, for you guys tonight is this one. How can the church be connected internally during this time? We talked about uh, the missional question of how can, uh, what opportunities does this create for us as the church? But, how can the church be connected to each other? How can I be connected to you during this time when we're not allowed? Now, the, there's uh, what? Uh, there's six, five of us in a room together right now, which is under the CDC recommendation of 10. We are outside. Of,
2: we are outside. As of March 18th, to the 2020.
0: Yes, as that of, will change as of today. And March we're at least 18th.
3: six inches away from each other. If the number gets any
0: lower, then Chris's family won't be allowed to be in the same household.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but so we're under the CDC. But. I, 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 my small group can't meet right now mm. is uh, uh it would be over well over the 10 uh person mm. limit our obviously co- our corporate worship gatherings on sunday mornings can't happen right now how can we be connected during this how can we worship together how could we do communion together that's a big mm. question for a lot of mm. churches right now um what what about small groups even because we're not allowed to meet together in this moment.
2: So what does that look like for the
0: church in this moment?
2: Yeah. I've been pretty encouraged by some of the small groups in the Forest Acres neighborhood that I get a chance to be an elder over. They've already... I mean, before we send an email out saying, hey, you can use Google Meetup, they're using Zoom, they're using all kinds of stuff. They're meeting... We got a uh, like a message last night, a few of us from Nate O'Neill, like a picture of his, of his phone. Like, there are a couple people in their small group on it, so... Yeah, I think virtually. I mean, the other day, this, the staff got together uh, in the big multipurpose room, six feet apart, you know, keeping it keeping it real. We had a, a conference call. Um, we were able to kind of make some plans that would probably get blown out of proportion for the next few months. Um, I think that's one thing. One of the other things we've been thinking about doing is, um, you know, doing a live stream. Uh, doing a live stream with a, with a sermon, um, either a band live or them kind of putting a Spotify playlist out that you can kind of sing together as a family or, or a group of people or something like that. One of the ideas I had today uh, was we're probably going to have a lot of more people watching the live stream, not because we're a great end-all, be-all church, but like my in-laws, for example, they go to a church that they don't live stream. There's going to be people out there that, that are connected to that. Mm-hmm. So one of the ideas I had today is, well, you know, how do you help people like that and other people interact with the, with the Word of God? So one of the things I've thrown out to James is what does it look like maybe 15 minutes after the service saying, hey, we're going to do a live Q&A. You can text in your questions and so almost kind of like lead like a, like a small group of small groups right there saying, hey, we just preached. We just had a Sunday service. What questions do you have about what that what that sermon was about, what that text was about, or why are we saying that thing or why we say that thing? I think in a lot of ways we have a great chance to engage with people that don't normally engage. Um, Both on the outside of Riverside, but also on the inside of Riverside.
0: Hmm.
2: That's a great answer.
0: And uh, shout out to Greg Wilson, our church planner in Manchester, England, uh, today put on Facebook, what new opportunities does the new format of being online only create for your church and thinking about it in the positive? And I really appreciated that question because for me, I've been looking and focusing more on the downsides, of it, and not thinking, well, maybe there's some opportunities mm-hmm. here too, not just um, things we're going to struggle through, but opportunities it creates for us to be um, in the, in homes and in lives that we wouldn't normally be in.
3: It's a great great point. Um, a, a buddy of mine I went to college with. He's the um, he's a uh, lower school principal at a at a local uh, private school, and he said, "We're just trying to figure out what is the opportunity here. Like, what I mean." So we have a chance to get better. We have a chance to find some new new ways of doing things and um, to to kind of add to what we're, what we're already doing. And it it really made me think it's it's pretty cool, you know, um, pretty cool that we're we're it's clarifying like, all right, we can't do these things right now. So what can we do? And then you know what what could, what can we figure out now that can make us better moving forward and doing community well. It's forcing missional innovation. Mm-hmm. And and I've experienced that just
0: in my business this week, not ch- related to the church, but uh, my business, I teach leadership classes. I can't be in a room with 20 other people right now. Mm. So we've had to move online. And it's forced us to do things that we've said for a long time, we need to find a way to reach people outside of our geographical footprint with these classes. And now... Um, we've been forced to find a means to do that. So, and, well, yeah, that's exactly where I'm going with this: is what opportunities does this create um, for us? Even was it force us to do as a church, maybe in ways that we haven't thought about before?
2: Oh, I got an easy one. We gotta pick a time and you gotta stump James Walden. Ask him whatever question you think will break his mind. <laughs> Good luck
3: with that. Stump the chump. Stump the chump. Right. Good Fry luck with the that. fryer.
4: Well, Josh, let me respond to that. Uh, first of all, I want to say I think that this venue of us doing this together hopefully is helpful to people, and I would encourage you guys to do it again soon, hmm. maybe weekly as we're in this kind of quarantine together. Uh, so I, I want to say that on record. Hmm. Number two we all, a lot of us, have more time on our hands than we've had before. Whether you're working from not home, yet, not yet. Well, you, you may not, but uh, <laughs> most people do. Um, and whether you're working from home or the people that you work with are working from home, there there's some space there. I would say the first thing you can do in terms of working the church is maybe work on yourself a little bit. Mm. Maybe there's some mm. time for you to have some you know, reflective time, some meditative time in the morning, some time in the word, some time in prayer. Mm -hmm. That's one. Number two is let's think about the people inside of the church that are the most vulnerable and how can we creatively help them? There's people that are on my radar right now that I know me and Erica are thinking about, okay, what can we do? I I know that number one, they got to work and they got kids. Maybe I can keep their kids, and uh, maybe that's a risk, but I'm willing to take that risk because mm. that's a way that I can serve them. Mm. And so I I think identifying people within our local church that you can serve is a, is a big deal. And yeah. so uh, for me, that's what I'm thinking about is, is maybe there's some space as an educator that's not going into school every day for me to work on myself, but also for me to extend my family and our ability to help others.
1: That's right. Mm. I think AOL Messenger is the key solution. (laughs) AOL I-M. Bad news, it died. They killed it. Okay. Um, No, but I think along the lines of what everyone has said, I think this can provide an opportunity for us. I think God is going to use this to really advance the gospel. Think about people that would never darken the door of a church, who are going to be exposed to the word because of live stream. Mm Mm-hmm who are just curious to check it out. So I think this is a great opportunity for us that we should really think about, pray about. How can we can uh, invite others into the live stream, um, how we can host gatherings where we're being appropriate and responsible with those gatherings, and if they're in person or virtual gatherings where we're able to invite others to hear the Word of God, to see the saints worship, to see the confessions of faith. I mean... That could be really powerful over, over a season. People that would never, ever come to your church, but they would check this out. Mm-hmm. I think that's a powerful opportunity. And I, I don't think it replaces the gathering of the saints. I mean, church ecclesia means gathering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it means a literal, physical gathering. So as was said earlier, I think this hopefully mm-hmm. will make us long for that gathering more. Uh, but it is an opportunity, and I think God's going to use it in big ways that we can't even really imagine right now. And
0: we shouldn't discount,
1: of course, God's ability and the Holy Spirit's ability to
0: um, tie us together, even in the... Midst, even when we're miles apart, hmm. doing a live stream service. Uh, Landon, I think you mentioned this week that there was a moment in the service where the spirit just really grabbed right. your heart, and then you talked to your wife after the service, and she wasn't there yeah, we physically, were... but she was watching the live stream, and the same moment um, the spirit grabbed her heart, and I was really encouraged by that, yeah. going, hey, the spirit isn't limited by the right. physical distance between the members of our body.
2: Right. Yeah, we were singing uh Waymaker and uh, I came home and I said, hey, you know, I felt like when we were in that room, there's like 20 of us. I felt like we were singing that song, like I feel like the spirit just kind of fell on us. It's kind of the, the moment, the, the kind of the totality of everything that we were experiencing over that weekend. And she said, oh my gosh, during that same moment, I felt the same thing with our kids. They're all, were are watching and, and all that. I know other people watched it later and stuff like that, but you're right. You're right that there's a sense in which we have a common unity in Christ. We are connected by his spirit that um, this is what, we'll, it's not what we'd choose. I mean, when we're allowed to kind of get back together and everything hopefully gets back to normal, um, we're probably not going to keep live streaming. That's not, our MO is Riverside. Um, but like I said earlier, I think in a lot of ways, some of the things we've built through the years, through our small groups and our Sunday gatherings, um, I hope it will deepen the community. And I, I mean, honestly, I love this problem. We come back together, we come back together. There's like, Five hundred people that want to come in our building, we can't all fit them in together we'll we'll do it we'll do with that later, but may the lord um it's not about us, but may the Lord kind of use what we do during this time to uh kind of further uh further the proclamation of the gospel um i mean i I'm preaching this Sunday, and so i on one hand I'm like oh my gosh i don't hope come I hope it don't become like a viral meme you know we're like yeah I see something stupid and people get it out there, but then also I'm kind of hoping that um whatever the Lord has to say through me will be a message of hope. Everything we've been talking about, there'll be a message of hope for people recognizing that there'll be people that maybe haven't tuned in before. You know, I know James probably feels the same way about, you know, the next few weeks. We don't know how long we're going to do this. Um, but what we, we want to be as faithful. we want to be faithful to preach the word and to pray for people and to gather as we're able, um, during this time.
1: Yeah. I think the big, the big takeaway for me in all of this is that, um, Christ is sovereign in this whole crisis and he's working for good. Are we trusting him in this? Mm. What are we going to wait and watch for him to do? It'll be hard, but I think it will be wonderful.
2: Mm. We don't know how we're going to communion. <laughs> I, I, I think <laughs> I we've had some ideas, but
3: I think in every every crisis that I've been a part of, whether it's 9/11 or the I mean even down to the flood in 2015, there are people with questions, and um, they're, they're open to answers of all kinds. Mm. And so the opportunity we have is to, uh, you know, give an answer that has been there for millennia. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and I think we need to be faithful to that, whether it's through a computer screen, a phone call, Showing up six feet outside their front door, you know, whatever it is, I think we need to be faithful to that.
1: Mm. Prepared to give reason for the hope within us.
3: Yeah.
2: I know that um, whenever I've thought about sending a group meet to some of the small group leaders and coaches in our neighborhood, I don't have to think too far about what I want to say to them. I think, oh, I feel anxious. What do I want to depend on in the word? And then I go there and then I say, okay, I'm praying that for you guys too. Mm. You
0: mentioned communion, and I think the answer for us right now, and I want to be honest about this, is we don't know. Mm. We don't know what that's going to look like. We've talked about if it's in a couple of weeks and how um, we can make a big deal about it uh, coming back together and doing communion. Whatever, our, I think, whatever our first service is back together, we'll certainly do communion. Right. But in the meantime, how are we going to do that? We don't know. And that's how I started, if you remember the live stream uh, service, our first live stream service ever this past <laughs> sunday is by telling reminding the congregation that hey we know what you know which is not a lot mm-hmm. and yeah. we are figuring this out as we go we don't have all the answers right now i can't tell you what this is going to look like a week from now and especially 5 or 6 weeks from now so we're figuring it out and we're going to we're, we're going to talk about it we're going to pray about it and we're going to trust the Lord in this, that he's going to lead us mm. to the answers that we need to come to. So
2: I saw uh, something on Facebook, a friend shared that said about their pastor, the one pastor, but at Riverside, we're, you know, full lay, LA and staff elder team. Um, your pastor, your elders, they have never led a church through a pandemic before. So um, I'll just say we covet your prayers. We covet your prayers to have wisdom from the Lord and from the spirit. Um, we may we're doing our best to make good decisions and wise decisions and follow what the government's telling us, follow what the spirit's telling us. But in a lot of ways, we need a lot of grace. Everybody needs a lot of grace right now um, because we've, none of us have ever done this before. And so I think it's a great time to lean into the grace of Christ and what he's given us. And the resources that we have in the gospel uh, to lean into each other is um, astounding.
0: And, and if you're listening to this and you don't go to Riverside yeah, and you don't true. call Riverside home, I would encourage you to have the same level of patience for your pastor or elder team right now. And if you don't, They don't have all the answers. We don't know everything. We don't know what's going to happen a few weeks from now. Are we going to be meeting together uh, for Easter? I don't know the answer oh. to that. And we may not know until the week before. We don't know what the timeline's going to be for figuring these things out. But you know who does know? The Lord knows. And Jesus knows the answer to these questions. And we trust in Him. He's our hope in this. Not our knowledge and foreknowledge of what's going to happen. It doesn't exist. But His does. Um, so we're gonna trust him, and however he chooses to lead us through this, as the se- the senior senior pastor of our church, um, we're gonna trust him in that.
4: Amen.
3: There is a shadow in the hallway, trying to frighten
4: you. Don't let the darkness surround you you can make it through don't you give up on the kingdom think it's crashing in no it ain't worth all the worry they'll still let you in